0: begins to talk about money, and we know. I mean, it's like it's like a lawyer joke. You know what I'm saying? Pastors talking about money is like a lawyer joke. It's the same kind of thing. Now, here's the real issue: is, is that, and sorry about that, Bruce. I apologize. <laughs> um, the the reality is, is that I don't want to manipulate you, right? And I do not want you to feel like you're being manipulated. Because you don't want to be manipulated. So that's not what, when we talk about money in this church, understand this and know this. We talk about it from the Scriptures. As we bring this up. If you ever hear me or any leadership in this church talk about money in an unbiblical way, we want to know, we want to hear about it. And we want to be corrected. Because we should never do that. This is not about that, but this is about seriously looking at our hearts before the Lord. Seriously looking at our our time and our talents and and using our spiritual gifts before the Lord. Uh, These things are important as we are, as we talked about last week, as we are salt and light in the community. We have to remember that we're not only salt and light to those out there, we're salt and light to each other. And so we need that. And, and so that's why we're, we're talking about these things, and that's why we've designated this time of year to do that. And not that we wouldn't speak about money any other course of the year, especially if it comes in a passage, but we specifically want to do this so that we have a a time to really think about and to wrestle with and to look at ourselves and to take an evaluation of our lives before the Lord and looking at His Word. So that's what this is about. Now, as we come to the text today, uh, when it comes to giving, God's people should desire God's desires. And again, to understand that, we need to be in His Word. So as we consider this text today, we're going to learn some key biblical points about our giving when it comes to, again, our time, our talents, and our treasures. So we're going to see, number one, biblical cheerful giving flows out of a whole heart. And then number two, biblical cheerful giving brings His people great joy. So let's look at our first point, biblical uh, cheerful giving flows out of the whole heart. If you look back at 1 Chronicles here, um, verse 9, in chapter 29, verse 9, it says that people rejoiced because, because of what? Because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely. Now did you hear the emphasis there? They gave willingly with a whole heart with a and if we take that to the New Testament, it's a cheerful heart that they had offered freely. There's an emphasis here on the fact that they had given because they wanted to or because it was their heart desire. to see a an example of this and and it's all about David here in this you know this book it's about his history as king. And, it, it, and it, it really, he kind of sets the pace for us even in this passage. But if you look back in the history of First Chronicles to an earlier time in David's life, after Saul's death and David's anointing, he returned to the Ark of Jerusalem to the place and, and, and that it needed to be in Israel, and he, he placed it in the tent. And it is here that you begin to see David's heart exposed before the Lord. He had a loving heart for the Lord and a desire to see the people of God worship their God in a place that was more permanent. A place that you could point to and say, hey, there's where we go and worship the Lord. Here is where He is. Now, um, this may seem interesting to us in our day and time, and there's a reason for that. That David would desire um, a place for, and you think about it, the God of all creation. The one who is outside of all space and time. That he would have a physical address on earth just blows the mind, doesn't it? But this is sort of God's idea too here. His idea was to be, you know, think about history and you think about the fall and you think about their separation between God and man. And then when he talks to Eve, he says, there's going to be someone who's going to come and he's going to bring a great blessing on the world. And then he sets out that plan of redemption. And each step of that plan of redemption, he is growing closer and closer and closer to his people. So he speaks to some, he he. Uh, uh, comes to the tent of meeting. And here David's heart was to, to gather enough resources to build a temple. And so the word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan. And as Nathan received this word, he went and gave it to David. And he said, David, you are not the man who is going to build the temple. You are not that man. Your son, Solomon, will be the one who will build the temple. Now, I'm sure there's disappointment in David's heart. But amazingly, David responds to this in a prayer of praise, for he loved the Lord, and he received his word with gladness. But here's the thing. Just because David wasn't able to uh, or allowed to build the temple uh, by the Lord, um, he could still make provisions for it. He could still give to it. And so that's what he did is he set his heart to doing this. And so as we come to the text today, as the, as the history unfolds before us, David is old, and he's close to death, but he calls an assembly, and he gives an overview of everything that was provided. And if you look at the text again, you can see here in the text how interestingly this unfolds. First of all, David himself had offered gold and silver and bronze and iron and the best wood and onyx and stones and precious stones and marbles, this not only from the spoils of war, but he also gave of his own personal treasures of gold and silver. It's wonderful that David gave his vast treasure, but noticed he also gave of his time and talents, didn't he? It wasn't just that he said, okay, Lord, I would love to see your temple here. I would love to see a place where people can come and worship you, and I'll give to that. Here you go. No. He was the one who found the site for the temple. He discovered it. He purchased it. And he handed it over to Solomon. It was David who received the plans from God. The Lord wrote them upon his heart. And God told him, and it's interesting. You know, when... Uh... When you think about God's worship and you look at these passages, like if you go to Leviticus and, and you look at, uh, uh, through even Revelation and you read these passages where the temple and, is being built and you go back to Moses and you read where the tabernacle and all the things of worship, God is very specific to what He wants in worship. He's very specific. And so here He even gives the weight of the candlesticks. The weight of the lamps is very specific. And so everything that was to be arranged, uh, David arranged. And then he passed these plans on to Solomon. So what does that tell you about the Lord's servant, David? What does it tell you about him? Look at the, chapter 22. If you'll flip back to chapter 22 really quick. If you flip back to chapter 22, it it probably says it best. In verse 7, it says this. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. Where is David's heart? His heart is to do this for the Lord. His heart is to love the Lord so much that He wanted His glory, the Lord's glory known by the people. He was jealous of the Creator God that He would be worshipped, that He would be praised, that He would be adorned. And now in his old age, right before he's about to die, he gave an earnest charge to all. He charged Solomon. He charged the leaders. He charged the people to carry out the work of building the temple for the glory of God. Now, I want you to think about David's life just like if you were looking at a movie clip. You know, like... um, uh, La La Land when uh, you know, they, uh, they show... Has anybody, has anybody not seen La La Land? I'm just curious. Several people have it. Well, never mind. You'll never get the story. In the story... I'm going to give it away, Arna. I? won't give it away. Chris is telling me don't give it away. But there's a scene where they flip through and, and it shows their lives like boom, 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 like that, okay? So, there you go. If you flip through David's life, if you flip through his life and you think about it, he's a young boy and he is out in the fields and he's watching the sheep. And what is he doing? He's writing songs to the glory of God. There is, he's out in that field. He's with the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. The times that I have had, uh, the clo- where I have felt the closest to the Lord are the times I'm the most lonely. And I can imagine David out in those fields where just, he was just lonely. He's close to the Lord. And then after that, he, he fights this giant. And then he, he struggles with King Saul. And he's wrestling with his sins. And then you see it unfold, his troubled... He's got a trouble. David had a troubled life. And, and so you see that. And he's at this point in the last days of his life. And in all of this, in all of this time, his heart is filled with true affections for the Lord and giving and in service to Him. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, David is a sinner. You know, this is again like we talked about last week. This is the world as best as I remember it. It's a messy place. But in all that mess and in all that glory and in all those good things he did, those good works and all that stuff, and in that innocent heart of his... He has desired all his life to praise the Lord, to give him glory. And so, what we see here in David is essentially a whole self, a whole heart, a whole life given cheerfully to God. And so, as we hold that mirror up to ourselves, knowing that he's imperfect, and not saying, Hey, be like David, but no, Have a heart like David, if we were to reflect into our hearts just a little bit, I wonder what it would look like if we took an inventory of our lives. Could we say, along with David, that our affections are inclined to the Lord? Are our affections those strong inclinations of the soul? Um, and, and, and that are manifested in thinking and feeling and acting. Are they set on the Lord? Are we delighted to live for Him and giving of our treasure, of our time and our talents? You know, Christian giving... It's really about the whole of our hearts and an outflow of delighting in the majesty and the graciousness of God. He is so wonderful. He is so merciful. He is so loving that our compulsion, our compulsion should be that we naturally want to give to Him and want to please Him. He is the One who has created all And has yet graciously given us all things. He is the God who has given us His only Son, Jesus, that we may have eternal life. And what David does is he shows us, he's like a a, a guy standing out with one of those rotating signs out saying this is what it looks like to have a heart after God. We must delight in Him. Now... Understanding this brings emphasis to our next point. So we understand who David is. We understand his heart delight. We, we sort of hold that up as a mirror. And this helps us as we come to our second point, which is biblically cheerful giving brings His people great joy and community. And so, um, we also then give... Because it is an important part of the joy and community that God wants us to experience. When the people um, in the community were encouraged by David's words, and remember what he said in the passage here in, in First Chronicles 29, he says, Who then will offer willingly, concentrating himself today to the Lord? You know what they did in the passage. They responded. They responded. Look again at 1 Chronicles 29.9. It says, The people rejoiced. Why? Because they had given willingly. The result of their action in willing giving was that they rejoiced. Furthermore, at the end of the verse, we're told David the king also rejoiced greatly. Simply speaking, whether king or, or leader in the community or regular guy... In the community. It didn't make any difference at all. It dis- doesn't make any difference that the regular guy could not give as much as the king, or maybe the king couldn't give as much as some of the leaders. It didn't matter. What mattered was that they gave, and the result was is that they all rejoiced together. They rejoiced. Our giving is intended to bring out the great joy that God intends for us. Remember, Jesus said that He came that our joy might be made full. And part of that joy that God intends for us in the community of believers actually comes in our giving. We see this in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8. Here the Macedonians, though apparently going through uh, terrible trials of their own, gave sacrificially to the Jerusalem church. It's interesting because yesterday I was really behind on my Bible reading, like way behind. And so yesterday as I worked and I did stuff around the house, I listened to it. And I listened to the whole chapter of Second Corinthians. I'm going to tell you, it was glorious. I was like, wow, I love to do this. This is great because it's like a whole chapter. And I read this and I was amazed at how you know, Paul is challenging them to give. Challenging them to give out of their hearts. And, and what was happening here is, is that, the, that, that, that challenge that was so dramatic moved them to give. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians that they were overjoy- they were overflowing with joy as they gave themselves first to the Lord. So they wanted to do this. They were excited to do this. They were happy to do this. So one Old Testament theologian points out the true heart of the matter here when he says this. People are closest to God's likeness and self-giving. Uh, the nearer they approach Godlikeness, the more genuinely and rightly they become capable of rejoicing. As the search for true happiness cannot be along the path of self-gratification. And so what the author there is telling us is is that we will find ultimate joy in Him. He freely gives to us as we freely give to Him and rejoice in that. It causes more joy in our hearts. Now I know I've used this story before, but it it bodes well here in this passage. Tim Keller in his book, uh, Prodigal God, illustrates this for us in a story. He says this, once upon a time there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot and he took it to the king and said, "My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or I ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you." And so the king was touched. And he discerned the man's heart, so as the gardener turned, so as the gardener turned to go, the king says, "Now wait. You clearly are a good steward of the earth." And I own a plot of land right next to you. So I'm right next to you. I want to give it to you freely so that you can garden it all. And the gardener walked away amazed and delighted. And he went home rejoicing. And there was a nobleman in the king's court who overheard all this. And he said this, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So next day the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion and he bowed low and he says, My lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse that I have ever bred or ever will breed. Therefore I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect to you. But the king discerned his heart and he said, Thank you. And he took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman stood there perplexed. So the king explained Uh, let me explain to you. The gardener that you obviously overheard was giving me the carrot. But you were giving yourself the horse. You see, only when one gives to the Lord out of a cheerful and whole heart of affection does he receive the rich joy that the Lord desires us to have. So as we understand this truth and we think about it, how do we respond? How are we to respond to this? First, and always, always, always foremost and most important, is just how does one have a cheerful heart of affection for the Lord? It begins by receiving the gift He has given to you. That's the only way it can begin. If you do not receive His gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, you really don't have a heart to give. Because you don't know Him and you don't understand Him. Jesus came into the world that we would understand the Father. Remember, He says, if you know me, you know the Father. He is the one who came to ultimately reveal the love and the grace and the glory of the the Father. And He gave His life both actively and passively. That we would be in a right relationship to receive that love. His life is given for you. And all all one needs to do is to believe and to trust Him as the Lord, the Creator God, and the Savior. If you're in the apologetics class, we talk about it this way. You're moving away from the fallenness of independence to the glory of, I am dependent upon you. I need your salvation. I need your son, Jesus. And that's the only answer that I have. That's what we're moving to. So we need that first. Secondly, as we think about how we uh, could work this out in our lives and, and apply it, this truth to us, it is, again, our every member commitment Sunday. And so what this does is it gives us a, a, a time to take inventory of our lives. You know, every one of us, every one here has been given a, a special gifts of, of time, you have a certain amount of time, and one day the Lord's going to call you home. Um, I told you a couple of weeks ago that a friend called me, and he said, I can't believe this guy we went to high school with is dead. It's amazing. And, and I'm like, you know, when the Lord decides it's time, he, he, he takes us. That's just the way it is. But we have been given some time. We have been given uh, treasures that we have. Uh, we live in one of the mo- probably the most affluent time in the world, where there's more money, more things, more. You know, Chris and I were talking about it the other day. You see uh, these people, and they just travel all over the world all the time. And it's like, boy, you know, when I was a kid, you never heard of people traveling outside much of your own hometown very much. Times have changed, and we've also been given incredible gifts. Um, gifts that we can use in teaching, gifts that we can use in hospitality, in serving. Uh, some people do children very well, and some people shouldn't be even caught dead in the nursery. I'm just telling you. It was a guy like that uh, that I knew at one of my previous churches, and he always talked about wanting to put Velcro walls up in the nursery, and we would go, not, you don't need to go in the nursery. No, no, no. We have all sorts of things. And there's things, you know, art. I mean, it just goes on. The list goes on and on and on. So to take an inventory. So what we want you to do is take an inventory. So on the back of your handouts, if you've got a note page, there's some questions back there. It's the same questions as last year, slightly modified a little bit, but uh, the same questions that we want you to think about, that we want you to consider. If you did get a handout, let me know, or there, should, there may be some left over, but, and I'll be glad to send you the questions. But think about these things. Think about where you are before the Lord. Look at one of the first question. What are my spiritual gifts and talents that I am using? And how am I using them for the Lord? How might I use them in our church and our community? What do I do, really do with my time? Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I struggle with that one. You know, I can waste a lot of time. You know, and some days I think, man, I'm so busy, and I am, but I'll waste time at the same time, you see? I mean, it's amazing. So ask yourself, it's a good time to really take an inventory. What do I do with my time? One of the things I can challenge you to do is this. Get one of those little you know, printed calendar papers, you know? And, and take a week, write down things that you're doing. It's, a, it's, it's like counting calories. Yeah, it's terrible. But do it. And then look back at it after a couple of weeks and see, where, where did my time really go? Am I using? And not that you ha, you know, don't think that what I'm saying is you've got to work all the time. That's not what I'm saying at all. It may be that you're, you realize you work way too much and you need to recreate some, which is recreate. How about that? Recreate some. So look at your time. Uh, Am I making use of it as the Lord has given it to me? Am I about the right things? It's easy to get off track. That's a good question. Have I gotten off track? It's easy to do that. So please uh, take a look at that and think about that. The third question there is, is what am I giving in terms of my tithes and offerings to the Lord? As we have entered in this capital campaign, we have been asking you to pray about this already. Um, You know, again, we talked about We've talked about this, you know, several times in the first announcement, and then first announcement to uh, some of the previous or, or next announcements, and we talked about this idea of, you know, we have to give to the budget as well as giving to the capital campaign, and the issue is this: we're stewards, right? We can't do everything. We can't do everything, so we have to think about it. We have to pray about it and look at it. So, um, one of the things that uh, some churches do is is that even in terms of tithe, they'll take a pledge, and that's not so that they can hold somebody's feet to the fire, but it's so they can plan better. It's so just one of the reasons why we are taking pledges for the capital campaign, so we can plan better and look ahead and be ready when the Lord calls. And so, look at your giving and think about it. Is it worthy? Uh, of the Lord? Is it biblically in line? Um, am I willing to make correction concerning this matter? Uh, where is my spouse when it comes to these issues of time, talents, and treasure? Are we on the same page? Um, and so, if we ask those questions, then we have to kind of think about a cheerful heart serving and giving course correction. So, pray as a couple about your commitment together to the Lord as an act of worship discuss with your spouse and even your family then set a plan for serving and giving for the next year if you have teens and children explain to them what you're doing be a good example to them teach them you know one of the ways you know like they say today that um and brian could probably give you these numbers right off the bat in terms of giving and it's amazing i mean you know we are such a giving people. I mean, I look at the storm and all the resources that have headed to the Carolinas, all the electricity trucks, all the things. And yet at the same time, do we really give what the Lord would have us give? We need to really think about that in terms of to our church and to other organizations that we may deem fit. And also, if you have teens, and I'm terrible at this, I haven't really now Olivia and I have talked a little bit about it. a lot of her job last year, but like even with Micaiah and Ian talking about how uh, we want to encourage them to give as they work and as they learn that process. So explain those processes to your team. So here's the thing. You may be saying to yourself, Patrick, that's a great passage for us, but David was building a temple. Are you saying that we're building a temple that we're looking for a temple for Christ Community Church to be in? No, I'm not. Why would I say it that way? Because Jesus is building a temple today, right now, that makes the first temple of David and Solomon pale in glory. What is that temple? He is building a temple of a new humanity. Hearts won by the gospel of grace, bought by the blood of Jesus, and saved by his sovereign mercy. Biblically speaking, sorry about that, biblically speaking, we are the temple of God, each and every one of us. Jesus lives in our hearts. That's why from last week we can be salt and light in the world. It's the only way we can be salt and light in the world. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, finally today, we have an opportunity to be part of uh, of supporting His calls to make a seat at the table for others to know Christ and to make Him known in community and to community. So we do this by connecting with one another connecting with others, we do this by serving, we do this by inviting people to church, we do this by giving. And so what this passage calls us to do is to do all these things cheerfully and with a whole heart, with a whole self, to the praise and glory of God. Let's pray.